walking in the same direction. Pretty impressive. I was praying. I disappeared. I rested for like 10 seconds. I'm back now. Um, it's awesome. It's worth it. You want to you wanna stay with the Lord. So it's, uh, it's amazing. You won't, you won't ever regret it. I'm glad we can have fun and all. Um, you know, being a, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus was the latest, single greatest decision I've ever made in my life. Um, outside of anything else, outside of any earthly relationship, I mean, I love my wife, I love my children, but walking with the Lord, there is absolutely nothing like following Jesus and loving Him, knowing that He saved me, knowing that He loved me, knowing that He died for me. And he didn't have to. He rescued me. I'm just so thankful for that. And this morning, I, I want to do this kind of a kind of standalone message. Obviously, we'll be gone for the next few weeks. And, um, but we're in this season of Lent, and it's something that, depending on how you were raised, and uh, you, you, you may, um, you know, when you were younger in your church, the church that you maybe grew up in, or whatever. Maybe they did some things with Lent, and um, maybe that represents some sort of a religious thing by Advent and Lent, these uh, kind of religious things on the calendar. Um, but let me, let me just kind of pause here and say, you know, and I know sometimes it can be just kind of feel like a religious stuff that we do, and we just kind of go through the most things. But there is something very powerful about those seasons. Advent is the coming of Christ born, and the season of Lent is where we remember his death, his sacrifice, and we celebrate his resurrection. And uh, and again, don't lose the power and significance of the meaning of this season. And so in this season of Lent, I wanted to do this message today called Journey to the Cross, um, and, and, and specifically following Jesus, remembering why he came and what he did for us. I believe that, you know, again, his advent and, and, and his coming, his death, his resurrection, these are the most important events in Christianity. He came, you know, he did not only just come, but he came on a mission. He accomplished that mission. It is finished. It is accomplished. Paid in full. And he died on the cross. He said it is finished. And he did what he came to do. But then it didn't stop there. He rose from the dead. He defeated death itself. And now it says that he is, he's gone back to the, the Father. He is preparing a place for those who will follow him. He accomplished that which he came to do. And these events are the most important. That's what Paul says. He says, Paul says, God forbid if I don't preach the cross of Christ. That it is the very power of God. Without the cross, none of us have a chance. That's why I'm so thankful to Jesus. We, we don't need to overcomplicate the gospel. We don't need to over make it over-religious or make it overly moral. We are dead in our sins and Christ rescued us and He died in our place on the cross. That's why Paul says, God forbid that if I don't preach the cross, it is the very power of of God. And he also says this in 1 Corinthians 16. He says, If there was no resurrection from the dead, he said, We are to be pitied above all, right? In other words, he said, we are, this is, this is, you know, we might as well be thinking of something to do differently. If there's no resurrection, then all is lost. That's why he said, I stake everything 
I, I put my, my hope and my claim in everything that Jesus has done. That he did die, he did rise from the dead. And so these events are the most significant things as far as Christians that we believe. And from the moment he came, and even before then, you know, when sin came into the world, again, you know, back, God gave Adam and Eve, he gave them free will, he gives us free will, and they, they disobeyed God, they became God of their own lives, they made their own choice, and they, they disobeyed, and the earth was fractured, there was a groaning, and Romans 8 tells us there's a groaning in the earth, there's a groaning in us, and, 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 and this hope to make things right again, and Jesus will one day make things right again, but when the earth was fractured and sin came in, God's response was exactly what Ilsa said earlier, was a rescue mission. That Jesus, it, 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 that, that was the immediate response to sin, like to God. Yes, He separated Himself, but He said, I want to redeem people. I'm not going to just push them aside. I want to redeem them and give them an opportunity to be restored back to me. And He came on a rescue mission. Ever since Jesus came, He was on that mission, a mission to redeem, restore, and rescue us from sin. He came, as I said, in, as, as I was doing the parables, the, the sermon series and the parables, that He came in to usher in this new kingdom to reveal that He was the one that the world was looking for. He was the Messiah that the Jews would be looking for. He was a new king ushering in a new kingdom. But he was revealing something else that this kingdom would not be of the earth. It would not look like earthly things. It would not look like the culture of the day. It would not be the king where he would come down. You know, he will eventually come down and he will rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. On his second return, when he comes back again, it will be a completely different thing. But we see Jesus coming down. So on his side, the king of kings, lord of lords, there will be fire in his eyes and he will come as savior. He will come as judge. But when he came the first time to us in the kingdom, he was born in a lowly stable. It's not kingly-like, but he was trying to say something, even the way he was born, that he came in humility. He came as a servant. He came to lay down his life. He came to us during his kingdom, and he was saying to his followers, and ultimately to us, and he says, if you want to be great, you be the last. If you want to be first, be the last. If you want to understand greatness in my kingdom, look at a child, have faith like a child. And it looked completely different because the kingdoms of this earth, and we understand that people love power. It's not just watch the news and get into the political realm for a little while. People love power. And Jesus was ushering in a different, a different way of doing things. That's why when he stood before Pilate, he said that faithful to my kingdom is not of the earth. If it were of the earth, he said, I could, I, you know, I mean, he could command angels to come down and do his bidding. They would just wipe out all of his enemies and he would just take over. And I think that that's what his disciples thought was going to happen. They saw that he had great authority. They saw that he could cast out demons. They saw that he could heal. They saw that he taught with great authority. But yet, in the midst of his authority, he would get down and wash his feet and take on the form of a slave. And he would say things that seemed to be a little bit off-filter if you want to be the greatest, be the least. And that didn't kind of, you know, it was not computing in their mind. And I think that they were hoping that we're on his team, we see he has authority, he's going to wipe everybody out and take over and we're going to be standing next to him. And he came to do something completely different. And he was inviting, as he came, anyone who wants to come follow me. Follow me. 
the passage that we're going to look at today reveals what he was inviting them to and ultimately us to as well. What it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a follower. What, what is he requiring of us? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's not the path of least resistance. Isn't it amazing that, that, that you know, Paul says that he said, in the spirit man and me and the flesh and me, they're always at conflict, they're always at war with each other. Isn't that true? Because, I mean, we are creatures of comfort, aren't we? We, we, we want the path of least resistance. We, we work toward comfort. We work toward ease. We work toward vacation, time off. I'm not saying that those are wrong. We need Sabbath rest. We make, sometimes we make those the goal. And you will find that what Jesus invites us to as his followers is not the path of least resistance. Sometimes we want the benefits without the cost. And there were several times in Scripture where Jesus would have these profound moments that we're going to look at in a moment of what he was inviting his followers to, his disciples, and ultimately to us. And before we get to that one, I just think it's not up on your screen, but there was another one I've just been meditating over this over the last couple of days in John chapter 6. And I, I knew we talked a little bit about this before, but. Um, Jesus is teaching. He just has fed the 5,000. They thought that that was pretty incredible, as all of us would. He takes a little boy's lunch and feeds a multitude of people with it. I mean, all of us would be like, whoa, that's incredible. It's amazing. And, but then later on in John 6, he begins to teach, and there's some of his followers around, and again, he would have these mixed crowds of people, his, his, his closest disciples. He would have them crowds and have some religious folks around. But, uh, you know, and, and his followers at the time were more than just the twelve. There were a lot of people that were kind of signing up and saying, we want to follow him. They had seen him do the great miracles. We're in, we're, we're in it. You can see these folks. They're in it for the benefits. But when he begins to kind of say, here's why I came, and here's what I'm inviting you to, it began to make the crowd a little bit less. Because later on in John 6, he says some things, and, and, and I mean, some very profound things, some things that they really have struggled with. He said this, he said, he said, I am, and he's given this little lesson. Remember when God sent man into the children of Israel, and, and so he's kind of pointing back to them because everything points to him. He said, he said and, it, and it said that supernaturally God sent bread from heaven, stuff called men, to feed the Israelites. And it was, they couldn't feed themselves, and, and, and God fed them. And, and what do you say? He said, I am the bread from heaven. One of the names of Jesus is he's the bread of life. He says, I am the bread of heaven that has come down. I am what you are looking for. I am what will feed the hunger of your foot. Because everybody has that, that yearning, that hunger and thirst. And the woman at the well, he said, I'm the, I'm the, the living water. And to these folks, he said, he had just fed them that 5,000 plus people with a little boy's lunch, and he said, I'm the bread come down from heaven. More than your physical hunger, I'm here to feed your spiritual hunger. And then he said something very, very, uh, you know, and they, I mean, this was very hardcore. He said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. Now, he wasn't talking about cannibalism. Stop right there. It wasn't getting weird. Because they had done the Passover, remember, they took the bread, they took the wine to celebrate, and, and, uh, you know, it was the sacrifice, and to celebrate, they got rescued from Egypt, and he's basically saying, I'm the Passover land, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part with me. 
What was he saying? Unless you completely, you're all in. Surrender completely. You take all of me. Not just part of me. Not just Sunday me. Not just Wednesday night me. But every single day I'm calling you to complete total surrender. Unless you eat of my flesh, you drink of my blood, you are consumed with me. You have no part with me. Here's what it says. Because many started saying among themselves, this is a hard teaching. It's very hard. Because they understood what he was calling them to. And it says from that point, many of his followers, not many religious people, not many people that hated his guts, many of his followers walked away from him. Because they said, this is too hard. This is, what, what you are saying here is too hard. The crowd began to thin. They began to thin out. Jesus didn't apologize for some of the things that he said to his followers. When he would challenge them, it was out of great love. The scripture that we will get into today, we will see, again, a hard challenge. But he always did these out of great love. He would, he would coach them, he would teach them, he would instruct them. Remember, he looked at his disciples, he said, sometimes, oh, you of little faith. How long do I have to put up with you? How many would be offended if Jesus said that to you? If he looked at you in the eyes and he said, you have little faith, how long do I have to put up with you? Would you walk away? Would you say, I don't want to hear that. That's not a sin But if you can understand his heart for you, just like the disciples, they, they didn't get offended with him. They understood it was out of his zeal for them. What he's saying is, I want best for you. That's why you heard me talk about, you know, a good coach. I'm not talking about a coach that screams and yells just for the sake of screaming and yelling and going crazy. But a good coach... Or if you've been in the military, you know, in a drill sergeant, what they do is when they are up in your grill, so to speak, and they are challenging you, there's purpose behind it. They're saying, I'm trying to pull out of you the very best. And if you've ever been in the military, been had a drill sergeant pounding you and yelling at you, you know, you don't say, well, I don't feel like it, and that hurts my feelings. If you said that at basic training, I feel sorry for you, okay? Not only will he go off on you, all your, all the guys in your, you know, you, you're done for. That hurts my feelings. Can you, can you tone it down a little? I don't like that. It hurts my feelings. There's purpose behind it. And those are kind of your earthly examples of what Jesus, when he would say those things, you, how long do I have to put up with you? You have little faith. If you only have faith, I can much say, if you only understood what I have for you, and he would say it out of great love for them. And in John 6, the crowd began to thin because of what he was inviting them to. And he doesn't apologize. And he looks over, he even looks at his 12, and says, the crowd began, this is too hard, we're out of here. Eat of my flesh, we know what you're asking to is too hard. It's too hard. And he even looked at his own 12, and he said, are you guys going to leave too? Notice he said, he doesn't go, please don't leave me. Are you guys leaving too? Because there's the crowd. If you want to go the way of the crowd, if you want to go the path of least resistance, you might as well get in line and follow them because you need to know what I'm calling you to do. All of his life, he was working towards the accomplishing the mission in which the Father had sent. He was going towards the cross. He was going towards the cross. 
That, you know, it doesn't mean he, that he lived this sad existence. I mean, the, the, the song says he was anointed with joy. He had great joy. He loved his disciples. I believe he laughed. I believe he had a great sense of humor. I believe that there was a mission on his heart. And he was set, one, one passage that he said, he, he was setting his heart resolutely towards Jerusalem. He knew what was ahead. I'm going to accomplish my Father's mission. Redemption, rescue. And during the time where he would call his followers, and ultimately to us, he was to follow him. And what he's saying is, you know, this will cost you everything, but it will be worth the cost that you pay. It will be worth it. Walking with Christ every day will be worth it. It will be challenging. It will not be the path of least resistance. It will be a trail in which there are hard things ahead. It won't be comfort and ease. Again, I'm not saying you should not have time to rest, but it, it, it won't be time to comfort and ease, but it will be you're following me and we're going towards something, ultimately the mission of the Father. And so let's jump to Matthew 16. Here's another encounter. This is kind of what the setup towards the journey towards cross. Now before this, and I'm not, I don't have the scripture up here, but, but in context, remember when he asked his disciples, he said, who do men say that I am? Remember that? He said, who, who do people say, what, what's the crowd saying? Who do people say that I am? And they began to say, well, you know, there's rumors going around that you're John the Baptist that's come back to life, you're, you're Elijah that has returned, you know, you're one of the prophets, um, you know, you uh, that come back to life. And so, you know, and, and he said, what are the crowd saying? What are people, what is the murmuring going on? But then he kind of he narrows it down, and he narrows it down. His question to them is the same question. He said, who do you say that I am? It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what the crowd says. Who do you say that I am? That's why our salvation, we work at our own salvation with fear and trembling. It is between us and the Lord, and Jesus will look at you and say, who do you say that I am? Am I Lord and Savior of your life? Am I just a convenience? Am I just somebody that... It's with you, but doesn't consume your life. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter, but it's my Father. And then he says this, and, 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 and he commends Peter. It's interesting, he commends because Peter says, you're Christ, you're the Messiah that has come. And then he says, Peter... Upon this rock, and again, Peter, the name touched on this rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And people have done some weird things with that, but what he's basically saying is what we have to fast forward on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches the message that many people remember the Holy Spirit comes into the upper room, fills them with power, they begin to speak in the languages. Peter comes out and preaches, and we have the birth of the church. And so Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Upon the message, Peter, that I've given you, ultimately, Jesus is the rock, but he calls Peter Peter the rock. You will preach the message and the church will be born. Upon this rock, I will build my church in the gates of hell and not prevail against it. So then we have this passage. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And then he must be killed, and on the third day, raised to life. So here's Peter the Rock, takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Pause. Don't ever rebuke Jesus. You'll lose that conversation every time. You can try. And sometimes we do. By maybe how we live our lives. 
Peter took it aside and began to rebuke him. Of course, he's thinking, well, I'm the rock. I have permission now to correct Jesus. Bad move. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, Jesus is on a mission, and he tells them, this is where I'm going. I'm going towards Jerusalem. I will be put in the hand of sinners. He said in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. How many would be offended if Jesus called you the devil? Okay, it's one thing to say you have little faith. How long do I have to put up with it? Now, he looks at you go, you're the devil. Okay, that's offensive, if you were wondering. Get behind me, Satan. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He didn't look behind Peter. He looked at Peter. He said, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, and here's what we're going today, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? That means have everything that you think you want. Fame, fortune, richness, whatever, you name it, you've got it. What does the prophet mention? Gain all that, but yet lose their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And what is Jesus saying? What is your soul worth? What is your eternity worth to you? Because when you die from this life, you don't stop living. You will live in eternity. And Jesus said, what is your soul worth? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. And what other people saying, that whole eternity thing, you living forever, is true. There will be one day where I will come as judge, and I will reward those who have given their lives to me. So this is a pretty potent exchange with His disciples. Jesus, again, his mission was the cross, and he explained to his disciples that, they are, that he's going to Jerusalem to suffer, to be killed, and he would be raised back to life. His mission, the mission of redemption, the mission of me and you. Then Peter rebuked him. Why does Peter rebuke him? You know what he's saying? Wait a second, this plan doesn't work for me. All this death talk, and again, Jesus is suffering a new kingdom, right? And they see him have power and authority. And Peter goes, you know that all that power and authority? If you want to go ahead and use that, that'd be great. And we can wipe out all these people and we can just go ahead and do this right now. This doesn't work for me. I don't like you talking about dying, suffering. I don't like that. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work in my plan of comfort and ease. I thought we signed up for you and I thought it was all going to go well for us. I thought this was a path of least resistance, but we say yes to you, and now we live comfortable and easy lives until we go to heaven. Isn't that how you set it up, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, no. And so, Jesus' strong rebuke is this. Peter, what you're saying is exactly what the devil tempted Adam and Eve with. You be God. Guys, sin boils down to that. You be God. You make the call. You lead. And even, you can let Jesus follow you if you want, but ultimately you lead. 
And that's why Jesus' this strong rebuke is because he understands what's going on behind the heart of Peter. That, guys, that's why we have to stay humble. We can easily and very subtly walk into things that are not of God if we don't stay close to Jesus. And we can think that our plans are better than His plans. And we can think that going a certain way, that doesn't work for me. God, I, I, you know, I, I thought you wanted me to have a comfortable easy life. I thought it was your will for me to do this. And, and you can say, no, you are then now taking the driver's seat. You are taking the place of God, and you are now veering off, just like the devil did. The prophecies about the devil, what, you know, in Isaiah and Ezekiel, says that he said he would ascend the throne. He was jealous of God. He was jealous. I will, I will take your throne. I will call it that. I'll say what sin is. I'll say what this and that is. You don't get to make those shots. Call, call those shots. And humility and repentance says, I'm getting off the throne. Jesus, I want you to be on the I want you to leave my life. We can assume, God, that's not God's will for me or, or you. And Jesus is saying that's satanic in nature. He said, what is the thing? You, you have the mind of man, human interest. You have temporary interest. You're, 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 you're thinking just simply of this earth and not of eternal things. So Jesus addresses his disciples and he gives them three commands that we're going to examine. And I love that what he's saying is, if anyone desires to come after me, you know what anyone is? Anyone. His invitation is to all of us. For God so loved who? The world. It wasn't for God so loved the Jews. He does love the Jews. Those were his chosen people that he used for that time in history. But for God so loved the world, he gave his son. If anyone wants to be my disciple, but he has these things that he calls us to. And what is he saying? He's saying, you know, and we're going to look at these. If anyone desires to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And so, in this, Jesus is laying out these principles of discipleship. And what, do you think, what, what he's also saying is, we're not allowed to come to God on our own terms. But we must come on his terms. We don't come to Christ with our set of circumstances. This is what I'll do and I won't do. And we have our little contract and say, you know, well, yeah, you can call this to me, uh, call this, you know, call this to me, uh, or make me do this, but I won't do this. And we compartmentalize our Christianity. And that's just, we don't come to God on our own terms. We must come on His terms. He says, to those who had not yet placed their faith in Jesus, his words come after me. Follow me can be applied again to the initial decision to surrender, to come to salvation. If you've never made that decision, if you've never in your heart said, Jesus, I want to make you Lord and Savior in my life, forgive me my sins, turning from my sins and turning toward you. That is that whole place, and that can mean that. But also to those who have already placed their faith in Christ, it is a constant call to come after him. It's a renewal to live a life of daily obedience that Jesus will lead and we will follow. Because we all have that temptation, don't we? To take control, to become God. And it's a daily, daily thing. And ultimately, it's for us to lead and not follow. And Jesus said, you come after me, follow me. You're not leading 
So let's look at these principles. First of all, he says this. The follower of Jesus must deny himself. Does anyone desire to grant me? First of all, let him deny himself. Let's break these down a little bit. It's important to understand that Jesus does not mean what we usually think of self-denial. We usually equate this to mean giving up something. It's like when people observe Lent and they say, I'm going to give up chocolate for Lent. That's not denying yourself, okay? I mean, that's making a little sacrifice. I'm not saying it's not important that you don't do that you should do those things that maybe the Lord will be putting his hand on something. But it's funny how we think that those things are equated to denying ourselves. And again, it can be a sacrifice and you should obey that. I'm not going to minimize that. But he is all it's not just talking about concern what we do, but even more importantly of what we are. So it's not about denying ourselves luxuries or necessities, but denying stuff which is completely different. It means that we renounce our rights to ourselves. Anybody find that challenging? Because that's the war in our hearts. Denying our rights to ourselves because we want our rights. We live in a culture in America that is all about my rights. Do you notice that third world... Third world Christians don't, they don't demand their rights to the government. There are no peaceful protesting in third world countries or other protests that are not so peaceful. But we feel like that we have these rights. Denying ourselves, that means we renounce the right to ourselves, the right to rule our own lives. The phrase deny yourself literally means to completely disown, to utterly separate oneself from from someone. Zero rights to myself. I'm not my own. I don't call the shots anymore. In the Romans 6, 11, the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. But I am not, I'm not my own. Let's go to the next slide. What is God? Paul said, rather, call yourselves with the Lord's instruction. Do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Then listen to what Paul says in Philippians 2. Love this passage. In your relationships with one another, talking about with each other, have the same mindset as Christ. What did Jesus do? If He leads and we follow, right? He's in the very nature of God. He did not consider equality with God something to be used in it for His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing. He came and made Himself by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance of a man. He humbled Himself. Becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is not the path of least resistance. There's no comfort. It's not about self-exaltation. It's about not self-promoting. Look at how awesome I am. It's about humbling ourselves. Number two, follow Jesus must take up his cross. If anyone desires to correct me, let him take up his cross. Now, to understand what he's talking about, at least folks would have understood what he was getting at when, when he said this. We also need to talk about what the cross isn't. It isn't hard circumstances. It isn't like having a lost loved one or a friend or your difficulties, your health or bad situations that you face in life. You know, we have that phrase, well, this is my cross to bear. Have you ever said that? I have. It's not what that means. Again, this is not to minimize when you're going through something. 
Those are hard situations that Jesus is acquainted with our suffering. Thank God He loves us. But this is not what He was getting at. What Jesus meant was that the cross is not just a place of suffering, it's a place of death. When He spoke of the cross, everyone in the audience knew what He was referring to, this Roman way of executing people to make you so want to die that you would be begging to die and you're there suffering it. It was was the worst form of execution. And when he sees the thing, take up your cross, he's saying that we are to live as dead men and women. Again, realizing that we're not our own. The old life has gone. The new life has come. I'm living as a new creation in Christ. That's why Jesus says, you can gain the whole world but lose your own soul by living for yourself. What is your soul worth? What is eternity worth to you? Because dying to yourself, it might seem like loss, but it's the greatest reward. Didn't Jesus' cross, didn't his sacrifice seem like the greatest defeat? In that moment, they were sad. His followers they didn't get it. His disciples had scattered. They're hiding out. There's weeping. There's words. I mean, imagine if you were one of Jesus' closest friends and you're watching him endure this. It would seem like the devil has won. And there's no hope. But this seemingly massive defeat ended up turning into the greatest victory that we will ever know. And that is why when we die to ourselves. It seems maybe like loss, but what we're saying is I live for the audience of one. I live for his approval. I don't live for culture. I'm not going to, I'm going to live to promote him, not promote myself. I'm going to live for him to be seen and not me. I'm going to live to die to myself instead of push myself in front. I'm going to live in humility, promoting Jesus, promoting his glory. Because the reward is great. That's why in, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life now I live in the body, I live by the faith in some God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, in all that I do, I want Jesus to be seen. And number three. Uh, let's go back one. Romans 12. Says, you know, um, I was going to touch on this, but Romans 12, you know, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to live a living sacrifice. And in other words, he's saying, be living dead people. Right? Living sacrifice. You're alive, but you're not alive to yourself. You're alive to the things of God. This is God's will for you. Let's go to number three. Follow Jesus must follow Jesus. Deny yourself to the God. If anyone desires, let him follow me. Let him follow me. Literally, Jesus, what he's saying is follow me day by day. That's why in another place it says take up your cross daily. Follow me day by day. This is going to be a, a constant struggle, right? We've got to constantly say, Lord, help me to live for you day by day. Continually following Jesus. It's a way of life. It's a pattern for our, our living. That we are to be a follower and Christ to be the leader. And that we're willing to be led. And we will constantly wrestle with that, the steering wheel to be in control. Let it go. Take it, 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 yeah, that's the constant struggle. But we have to be willing to be led. And if he's leading and we're following, he's going to maybe take you at times that you don't understand, that you don't get. 
Maybe times that are uncomfortable. Maybe times that are unpleasant. But it will always be on mission. It will always be for story. It will never be wasted. It will never be wasted. He uses everything for the glory of Jesus in and through us. He's on mission. He's saying, I want you to be on mission with me. Nothing in your life is wasted. When you're going through something and it's a difficult circumstance, if you belong to the Lord, nothing is wasted. It will be for the glory of God and you will be on mission with Him. Because we like to lead, don't we? We like to be in control in that constant struggle. That's why the other, the two big themes of Lent are what? Humility and repentance. Those are two of the major themes. We have to daily humble ourselves and say, Lord, help me. We need to repent when we've taken control because we're always in that struggle. Lord, forgive me for leading in that. Forgive me, Lord, that I didn't ask you about that. I just assumed. I just kind of did this and I kind of went my own way. God, forgive me. When we do that, that touches his heart. He doesn't stand with a, a condemning finger at us. He understands our struggle, this flesh struggle. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, it's a constant struggle. My flesh and my spirit are at war with each other. But when we come to Jesus in, in sincere humility, Lord, help me, I need you today. I need you today. Forgive me for leading yesterday. I know that I led in that, and I didn't really ask you about that. Help me. It touches his heart. Look at what Paul says. He says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly are we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Because no matter what you're going through, it's light, it's temporary. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on eternity. Because there is an eternal glory that's going to come and you're going to say it was worth it. And Jesus is saying, hold on. So we fix our eyes on what, not what is seen, because what is seen is temporary. And sometimes we can get, especially in difficult circumstances, we can feel like it feels like forever, and it's not. From what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And let's close with this last passage. It's one of my favorite passages. Listen to what Paul says. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. It's interesting that Jesus said, I resolutely set my heart towards Jerusalem to go to the cross. Jesus, um, and Paul, as a follower of Jesus, goes to the same place. He's following Christ toward Jerusalem. He said, I don't know what would happen to me there, but I only know in every city, here's what the Holy Spirit's warning me. This is not ooey-gooey ceilings. This is not the path of least resistance. The Holy Spirit's saying, hardships are facing me. Then what does Paul say? However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task of what Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He wants to finish well. He wants to walk in all that God has for him. He says, Jesus, you lead and I'll follow, even if it's tough. And then what has he said? I want to accomplish the mission. What is the mission? Testifying to the good news of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He came to redeem and rescue. We're on mission with Him. And as we reflect on this time of what Jesus has done, this time of Lent, that He came to the earth, that we are reminded of His rescue, His redemption for us, and that, guys, He is calling us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow. It will be the greatest decision that you ever make. We can.
Lord, we love you so much. We praise you and we thank you, God, for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, even as we, that, that last passage of what Paul said, that I, I count my life worth nothing. He got it. He understood it. Lord, he wrestled, he struggled, but he understood that I am on mission with Christ and my life is to bring Jesus to the Lord. Lord, maybe we be reminded of that. Lord God, in those areas, God, that we leave, God, help us, forgive us. Lord, help us to daily walk in humility and repentance, Lord, to understand our need of you and to continually let you lead us. Forgive us when we lead, God. Forgive us when we take control. And God, show us, God, that the eternal glory of what we will experience forever with you will far outweigh anything that we go through on this life. May we live for the audience of one way. May we live for the glory of the name of Jesus. May we live to love you, to serve you, and to follow you wherever you would lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great, great day and a great week.